Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I got my accumulated mail. It's in my mailbox here uh, from the week, and yesterday I was looking through it, and I saw an interesting uh, pamphlet, uh, and it's a program actually, and it's called National Back to Church Sunday. Now that's September 16th. Now I'm not telling you that because uh, implying you don't need to come back until September. I don't think that's the point of this. But as I was thumbing through it, um, after that September 16th, when I suppose they're going to be getting a number of people to come back to church, which I think is a great thing, and I'd encourage you to, if you got family members or neighbors and so on, uh, don't, don't wait until then, but encourage them to come back to church. This is, this is uh, the place for those who would seek to know God better. But there is a follow-up for right after that, because I was kind of wondering, okay, so what, they show up and then don't come back until the next September 16th? And it's called 30-Day Church Challenge, the perfect way to connect and engage with your back-to-church Sunday visitors. So um, you buy the first program, then you buy the second program. Uh, but I, here's the interesting thing. I think I've found the secret to at least this second program. It says 30 days that will transform your church, and there are five points under this. Now stay with me because you're, you're wondering what in the world does this have to do with our passage. I'm about to read this passage but the five points all are based on this passage. The first point, uh, number one, devote themselves to authentic community, Acts 2.44. Number two, develop a worship lifestyle, Acts 2.46 and 47. Commit to spiritual growth, Acts 2.42. Number four, embrace stewardship and generous lifestyle. And then it gives the references. And then Number five, engage in sharing God's love and gospel with others, Acts 2.47. And here's what they're saying about that. If you engage people in those things, it will transform your church. Now, I couldn't agree more. We're not, I'm not planning at least to buy this 30-day church challenge program. But these are the keys. I've told you, and we haven't unveiled it yet, uh, but I've told you that we've been working on a strategic plan here at St. Andrews, and we're calling it Vision 2017. I wanted to call it, uh, you know, you do it for like five years. I wanted it to be Vision 2020, just because that sounds so cool, but that would have been an eight-year plan, so... uh, in three years, we'll start calling it Vision 2020. But you know our mission statement because you see it regularly. It's on uh, you know, the front of our worship guide and it's at various places around the church, helping people joyfully know Jesus Christ, love Him more, and serve Him better. Now, boiled down, boiled down, if you take that and you just uh, boil it down, you've got no love and serve. And you're going to be seeing that all over the place. To know, love, and serve. 
we've got three major ministry areas. Teaching, outreach, and worship. Now, as I read this text, I want you to ask yourself if these indeed are reflected in this text that tells what the early church was focusing upon as God was blessing with thousands of souls coming into the church. What were they focusing upon? If you remember last week, Peter had told the people, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. What did the church do to save itself from the corrupt generation, to make itself different from the world that it was living in? And then, here's the other part of that question, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. What was the evidence of that? Was it tongues and miracles and wonders and healings? Well, those things were there. In fact, next week we're going to encounter a healing and, and study that. But what does the Spirit-filled church do with itself? How does it act? Here's what the Scripture says in Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would desire to be evidenced as a church that is full of the Spirit. As a church where you are working. As a church that is, is different, not just to be different, but because we're following the true and the living God. And so will you show us what that meant in this first century, and what it means for us, we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're quickly going to see four things that the church was absolutely devoted to, was committed to. The first is the church was committed to learning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, each of our points today have to do with what the church was committed to. The word there is uh, they devoted themselves. That's a compound word. And the, the, the two words that, that uh, we translate that way, it's like pressing toward, continuing steadfastly being devoted to, persevering in. 
So what did they devote themselves to? The first thing that's mentioned is the apostles' teaching. Now, what did that include? Well, the apostles' teaching would be what we, in our day, basically call the New Testament. They didn't have it in this form. But it was the teachings that are uh, contained in our New Testament. They devoted themselves, they learned, they meditated, they heard, they memorized. All of those things were what they were devoted to. And an evidence that the Holy Spirit had come into their lives was that they weren't forced to do that. They did it because there's something inside of me that is calling me to to learn this and to be devoted to it. What was that inside of them calling them? It was the Holy Spirit. And so you got to ask yourselves if you know, if I hate sitting under teaching, if I don't have any desire to learn the Word of God, I don't have any desire to read the Word of God, what's calling you? What's driving you? Because the Holy Spirit will drive and call you to the teaching of the apostles. As I said, that's one of our major ministry areas here at St. Andrews in Vision 2017. This is what we say. Teaching will provide continuing opportunity for the people of St. Andrews Presbyterian Church to grow and mature in their understanding of God's Word and its application to our lives. Our desire is for every member to be a learner, Notice we didn't say for every member to be a teacher. Every member to be a learner. Even our teachers need to be learners. This will lead into ever-deepening discipleship. Zeal without knowledge is useless. But so is knowledge without application. Do you get it, what what we're saying there? And I'm not going to dissect this. We'll come back to this at future times. But what we're saying is that It doesn't do us any good just to keep taking in a bunch of knowledge if we don't apply it. If it doesn't have an impact upon our lives. And there are people in churches all over this town, all over this country that are doing nothing but taking in more and more knowledge and never applying it. It's not making an impact upon them or their families or their marriages their schoolwork, or their jobs, or their community. But that's not the work of the Spirit when that's the case. The body of teaching was, in this case, the New Testament. And that's why here at St. Andrews, that any message you hear is going to be based squarely upon the Word of God. And when you go in Sunday school classes, they will be uh, teaching the Word of God. Because we see it as in that learning should lead to knowing Him more deeply and to loving Him more. And then the outworking of that is service. We want to serve Him more. The second 
the second thing they were committed to was loving. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now the word there is the word koinonia from koinos, which means common. Now, let me just tell you this, because I'm not going to read you a section from our Vision 2017, because uh, fellowship is not one of our major ministry areas. You say, what do you mean? It's, it's one of their major ministries. Why wouldn't it be one of ours? Well, we see the importance of fellowship, but what we say is that fellowship permeates all of our other three major ministry areas. So we don't separate that. We don't say, okay, now we're going to do some teaching and then we're going to do some outreach, and then we're going to, uh, you know, do um, some loving one another. You know, that should permeate all of the things that we do. Dr. Francis Schaeffer, uh, a number of years ago, was introducing a film series uh, in Chicago, and he said this about the future of the church, and uh, if that name doesn't mean anything to you, it's okay. He was in our denomination, but he, he, he wrote a number of important books. He's with the Lord now. But he was also very prophetic about the future. He said this, unless the church changes its form and gets back to community and sharing of lives personally, the church is done. It's pretty drastic. I've quoted to you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, was a, a Lutheran pastor during World War II. He had written, uh, in that day, a kind of a groundbreaking book called Life Together, and it was about community, and that wasn't the end thing at the time. But he, he put it this way, in a Christian community, everything depends on whether every, each individual is an indispensable link in the chain. You hear that? If the Christian community is functioning, then every single individual in that community is a link, and that makes them indispensable. Only when even the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. A community which allows unemployed members to exist. Now, let me clarify. By unemployed members, he's not talking about jobs. He's talking about people who are in the church who are doing, doing nothing in the community. Okay, as it, he explains. A community which allows unemployed members to exist within it will perish because of them. It will be well, therefore, if every member receives a definite task to perform for the community, that he may know in hours of doubt that he too is not useless and unusable. Every Christian community must realize that not only do the weak need the strong, but also the strong cannot exist without the weak. Now, what did it look like in the early church for them? What did this community, this fellowship look like? Here's what it says, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is not communism in the, the Marxist sense or socialist sense. You cannot justify uh, that kind of communism because of this. What we see, this is not some govern government program. This is not even something that was forced by the church. 
This is something that was welling up from them. It, it, was, it was bubbling up because of their relationships. It says they, they were together. Now that's amazing enough that they would not necessarily have that much in common. You take 3,000 people and you throw them together in one day. They're not going to necessarily have um, things in common. And yet, they quickly began to relate to one another. And obviously, they knew each other well enough to understand needs that others had. Now, how'd they do this? This is where part of our application for this passage begins. Remember, there was a 120 uh, the, uh, in the upper room there. They were praying. And then 3,000 souls come to Christ and come into the church. So you got at least 3,120 people. I guarantee it wasn't in a group of 3,120 people that they understood each other's needs. It was as they began to break down into smaller groups as we're going to see. That's how they began to get to know one another. It says they broke bread in their homes and they, they ate together. As, as Mark said earlier, don't, don't underestimate the importance of even a covered dish dinner. By the way, if you're visiting with us, you might say, I thought they were potluck dinners. We don't believe in potluck. We don't believe in luck here as Presbyterians. So it's covered dish. But it's at places like that. Because, you know, for some reason, and Jesus knew this because he was always eating with people, wasn't he? Walls get broken down when you're sitting there eating. You know, all of a sudden, you're sitting across from a stranger and you're talking about, yeah, I shouldn't be eating this because I got heart problems. And then I, you know, hey, what medicines are you on, you know? And all of a sudden, you, you get to know each other in a level that you never would just sitting here together. But more seriously, then the next time you see them, it's a little easier to sit down next to them, isn't it? And that's why we do encourage you to, you know, we, we're not opposed to you eating with friends, but you probably do that every Sunday. So sit down by somebody that maybe you don't know. It's your responsibility. If you're sitting by yourself, it's your responsibility too to get up and move near somebody. But that's how they were getting to know each other. They were in smaller groups. And here we've got Sunday school and we've got K groups and we've got men's studies and, and women's Bible studies and, and service groups like the bells or the choir and other things. And that's where you begin to get to know other people. When I was on sabbatical in January, Connie and I visited other churches uh, each week. But the, actually my, my first week... Um, Abby was still home from college. She wanted to come here because she loves this church. That's good. And I want to encourage that. So she and Connie came here. And I went to a church up in uh, Rock Hill. I didn't know anybody in the church except the pastor. Large, large church. Great church. Excellent worship. But it was a lonely experience. 
you know, I pulled into the parking lot and then I, I sat there for a minute because I didn't know, you know, I wonder how they dress here at this church. So I had like a, I had a tie and a coat there and I had no tie, you know, the on and that kind of thing. And then I said, now, how do you get into this building? And so I kind of watched people and I saw, I said, okay, I'll kind of go get in the flow. And then I went and I found a seat and I was terrified that I was going to sit in Aunt Millie's seat who's sat there for the last 40 years, and, and I might have, but I didn't even want to look around, because I didn't want to, and I, I sat there, and I signed the friendship pad, and, you know, it was, a, it was a great worship, and so on, and I spoke to the pastor, and, and I left. If you're visiting with us, I feel for you. I mean that. I know it can be lonely in a crowd. I'd kind of forgotten that, but, you know, over our few weeks of visiting other churches. And we understand that. And that's why we encourage you to take that next step. You know, if I had kept going to that church, I would have had to get in some kind of group or I'd have been lonely every Sunday, probably. Other than knowing maybe the one that sat right next to me. So we encourage you. With that. The third thing for them is the church was committed to liturgizing. You're right, that's not a word. I just made it up this week. And I'm not that big on alliteration, but sometimes they just kind of fall out of the text. And three of the four were good L's, and, and this one wasn't. But all I'm saying is worshiping. You can write that in because if you don't know how to spell liturgizing because it's not in spell check. This is what Vision 2017 says. Worship is our opportunity to grow to know Jesus in a deeper way and to grow to love him more. St. Andrews considers it to be of highest priority for those who would be disciples of Jesus. It's our desire to see every member to be a worshiper. Do you get that? We, We keep saying every member, don't we? Every member a learner. Every member a worshiper. Both corporately, in other words, in our stated worship times, and privately. Now, there's, in this passage, there's several references to formal worship. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. When we had communion and I used this passage, I pointed out that that was probably the formal, the Lord's Supper. And then down in verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together, there were times of formal corporate worship where they all got together. But there were also times of informal worship. Look at the second part of 46. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. That was their conversation. That was their mode of living. They didn't just go to worship. They lived a life of worship. And when they got together, they praised God because that was how they related to one another. Now here's how formal worship and and informal worship fit together. Formal worship gives us the opportunity to get together 
and really do some things that typically we don't do in our society, like, like all of us sing together. Where else are you going to do that except at a ball game and singing the national anthem? We don't typically do that. Why do we do that here? Because God said, sing a new song. And so He calls us to do that together. And formal worship and, and gives us the opportunity for a dramatic representation of who God is when we have great music, when we pray together, when we say the creeds together, when we study the Word together. It, it points us to that transcendent God where we're doing things that we don't normally do because we're together. And it's part of our calling. And then informal worship in our groups, in our homes, when we gather around the tables, reminds us of the relationship part with one another and with God. There is a, a fourth thing, and that is the church was committed to looking outward. To looking outward. That's our third major ministry area. Praising God, verse 47, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Every day people were coming to Christ. Vision 2017, outreach is how we will help people know Jesus Christ. We wish to touch every family in our ministry area with the ministry of Christ through the gospel so that they might come to know and love Him. This means St. Andrew's is an outward-looking church. We will creatively use all kinds of opportunities to introduce people to Christ by building bridges to our community. And then I've got a footnote under that. Bridges to our community, not draw bridges. <laughs> you know, where we kind of run into the church building and, you know, quick, crank up the drawbridge because we're real happy and safe in here. No, we want to build bridges and those bridges, they're going to be riskier because they might not be as comfortable. We may be going to areas that aren't, aren't quite as comfortable. But that's what outreach is in our vision 2017. Now what's the key in Jerusalem? Well, we see the results. God's adding to their number daily. But I must admit, I'm a little hesitant here. Not because I don't think outreach was a vital part of what their church was doing. That was the task that Jesus had left them with. But my hesitancy is saying that the church at this point was making that one of the priorities. In fact, back in Luke 24, he, he says this, You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So they were basically still in that stay in the city mode. They weren't even going out at this point. They were told to wait. What we see is the church was growing every day, but it wasn't because of an outreach strategy. It wasn't because of an outreach program. Rather, it was because they were building community. And people in Jerusalem didn't know 
what to do except they wanted to be a part of it. They were seeing things in this this new community that they had never seen before. God was abiding with them. It says they enjoyed favor with all the people and God was adding to them because of their relationships with one another. Others were being attracted to being a part of the fellowship. And you know what? With all the strategies we have in vision 2017 and all of that, you know what the best thing we can do? Is to be an authentic community. To have real deep, abiding relationships with one another because people in our world crave that. They don't have that in other places. <clears throat> and it will make us different as a church. What was going on here? What attracted the people? In about 125 A.D., there was a a letter written to Diogenetus, who was an unbeliever. And this letter was written about the nature of the way the Christians lived. That's pretty early on. Listen to how they were described. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they're not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they're citizens of heaven. Obedient to the laws, and yet they live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they're not understood, they're put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They're totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Deference, their uh, response to insult. To speak in general terms, we may say that the Christian is to the world what the soul is to the body. May God, by the power of His Spirit, make that so among us. May He empower us not to be different just to be different, but to be different because we are followers of the King. Let's bow together. Lord, this we would ask that you would help us to become the church that your word directs us to be. Not that we envision, but that you have always envisioned for your church. May it be so, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.